The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. Well, we're working through 1 John, and we come to chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. And uh, what we have seen in 1 John thus far is it began with this idea of reminding us God is invisible. He is this invisible, eternal life source that has always existed. And so, how do we come to know this God? How do we have eternal life? How do we participate in life that is eternal and good and blessed? We've learned it. We God proactively, graciously revealed the way to us through uh, His Son, Jesus Christ, that this eternal life being took on flesh so that we could enter into relationship with Him, that we could know God. It's kind of hard to know if you know an invisible God, right? Does anyone ever wonder about that? Do you, do you ever wonder, struggle with assurance of knowing, do I really know God? I want to make a distinction between assurance and actual, the reality of salvation. Assurance is the level of confidence that you have about that reality, that invisible reality. How can you know that you have come to know God? Is there a way to know for sure? Can you be confident? Can you be sure? Can you know that you know that you know? And John says, yes, I want you to know that you know God. And, and we've seen he's given us qualities of authenticity. How do you know that you're authentic when you claim to know God, when you claim to profess, when you profess faith in Christ? Well, how do you know that you know? He has pointed to two overarching qualities. Well, he's pointed to three. The first was faith in Jesus Christ, but then two more subjective qualities that we look for is, number one, do you see a growing holiness in your life? And number two, do you see brotherly love in your life? And so these are two things to look for. When we talk about knowing that you know, there's many reasons that we can doubt our faith. Sometimes it's because someone else who has a much different experience about their relationship, they might just be on high and they're telling you what an awesome experience they've had and how much they love Jesus and how they're following Jesus. And man, you're like, yeah, me too. I think, but I'm not feeling or looking anything like you. And so maybe you doubt because of that. And maybe they use words that you're unfamiliar with. Maybe they've been taught different things with different terms like filling of the Spirit or baptism in the Spirit or or a second blessing of the Spirit. I mean, no disrespect to those, but you haven't been taught though. We don't use those terms. And so you may be like, wait, have I ever had that? Have ever had this experience that they're talking about? Do I really know God? Where do you go when you start to have doubts? How do you come to know that you know God? That's where John is, is leading us today. And what John is going to show us, it is not going to some emotional experience. Many of us growing up in our culture went to a church camp awesome experience, a time where we get away from the busyness of life, a time where we gather with other people seeking the same thing, to study God's word, to apply God's word, to know Jesus better. And it's an awesome, powerful experience. And many of us 
many of us came to uh, have an experience at the end of that week. And then maybe that emotional experience faded. And then now we're going years down the road and we're going, was that real? Was that, do I, do I really know God? So how do I know that I know? Well, that's exactly what John is dealing with when he writes this letter. He's writing to a group of people who are are remaining in a church after some bad stuff has gone down. That some people in the church had had an spiritual, emotional experience and they came to the conclusion, I thought I knew God, I didn't, now I know God. And if you don't have that same experience, you don't really know God. You need to have this same experience to know God. And it left them with two places. It left them, left them saying, since I have come to truly know God, I don't have to deal with this fleshly sin, this battle with sin. And they denied sin. They denied the need of obedience. And they also had this superiority attitude about themselves where they looked down their judgmental nose at others who didn't have a similar experience. And they said, well, if you haven't had this, you don't know God. Well, they moved on. Thankfully, this church conquered and overcame, but what's left is a lot of doubts, a lot of questions. Do I really know God? I mean, I know I believe what the apostles taught. I know I, I, know, I know the set of facts and doctrinal teachings about Jesus, but how do I know that I really have a relationship with the invisible, invisible, eternal God? John is going to tell us today. But what he does today in particular that's different than before is he kind of looks underneath. He's going to look underneath and explain why growing holiness and why brotherly love gives us assurance. And so that's what we're going to do. Why is it? So we're going to get a little better understanding of growing holiness, a little better understanding of brotherly love, what it is and why it should give us great assurance. And so let's first examine growing holiness. I'm getting this in verses 3 through 6. Listen to what he says. He says, by this we know that we have come to know him. Here's how you know that you know if we keep his commands. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. He's kind of rude. He's a liar. The truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. And the one who says he abides in him ought to himself walk in the same manner as he walked. So first of all, John makes both a positive and a negative statement about Holiness about obedience and its correlation to assurance. Positively, he says, we know we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Negatively, he says, the one who says I know him and doesn't keep his command is a liar. So there's a direct correlation between assurance and keeping his commands. Notice what I said. Assurance, confidence about your salvation. There's a direct correlation between your confidence about your salvation and your keeping of his commands. You keep his commands, you will have growing assurance. You don't, you'll be riddled with doubt, and rightly so. And so what he is saying here is, if you want to know that you know, then keep his commands. If you keep his commands, you will come to know that you know. So what does it mean to keep God's commands? Let's start out with saying what it doesn't mean. John is not saying, if you doubt your salvation, go and do a bunch of religious deeds 
And if you do enough deeds, you will see you're going to heaven. He's not pointing to religious activity. He's not saying if you go to church enough and you do enough good deeds or religious activity, you will earn merit with the Father. He's not saying that you have to be perfect. We've already seen that last couple of weeks. He's been saying the true believer admits he's not. The true believer is secure enough in the grace of God and the forgiveness of Christ that he's able to say, yeah, that's sin and I need to deal with it. He's secure enough to be open and honest about his sin, to confess it to God, to confess it to brothers, and to wage war against that sin, and to begin to repent. And thence we will see in that person's life growing holiness. So it can't mean a denial of sin. And so when he says, if you want to know that you know, look to see if you keep your command, his commandments, what does he mean? Well, the, word, the verb keep, as Robert Law points out, expresses the idea of watchful Observant obedience. To keep the commands is to be watchful and observant over one's life to seek to, seek to obey God's commandments. When I hear that, I think of a shepherd who keeps the sheep. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd is very watchful over his sheep. He loves the sheep. He wants to keep the sheep on the right path, lead them beside still waters, make them to lie down in green pastures, lead them down the path of blessing. He is carefully guarding and watching and shepherding the sheep. To equate that to keeping the commands of God, the, the one who truly knows God is carefully watching and guarding his behavior and his life, seeking to conform it to the will of God, the wisdom of God, the precepts of God, the commands of God, the word of God. All those phrases capture different at larger or smaller concepts, but the whole point is God has spoken. God has revealed his instructions. God has given us the path of life and blessings And the one who truly knows God walks down that path and is careful not to get off the path because he knows that God has said, getting off that path, there's ditches, there's pain, there's despair, there's destruction of your life. And so obedience, the one who truly knows God says, I want to live my life the way God has said to live my life. But why? Not to earn anything. Not to merit something with God. But because he's come, she has become convinced in her mind that this is best. This is good. These instructions are for my good and they come from a God who is trustworthy and faithful and good and loving and kind and has a great plan for my life and is speaking the truth that I should listen to this one who's giving me this. In other words, they become convinced that this God knows what is good and evil. This God knows the path of blessings and curses and this God has revealed it And the one who truly knows God knows that God tells the truth. It should remind you of the Genesis account in creation. When you open your Genesis account, the Bible, the story of the Bible opens up introducing you to God. And what do you see? This invisible, eternal, good, benevolent God speaking creation into existence. And he alone is the one seeing and declaring what is good. 
He made this and it was good. He made this and it was good. He made this and it was good for man. He made this. And this is not good for man. God is the one who knows what is good and not good for man. And he says, I created, we see he created all this creation, this good, beautiful, abundantly fruitful creation as a stage for his pinnacle creation. Man and woman. And the Hebrew word that he uses there, he nestled them, he put them in the garden. means he nestled them safely and gave them Sabbath rest from anything else that they may cultivate and keep this intimate, abiding, fruitful, wonderful, blessed, eternal relationship with the eternal, gracious God of the universe. He says, I want that for them. He provided that for them. And All they had to do was to truly know him. To know he's good. To know he's loving. To know he has provided all this for their good. And not to go outside and depend on any other source of wisdom. Not to listen to anyone else's word. But to trust him and obey him. This is what is pictured in the prohibition, you shall not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You shall not seek any wisdom apart from God. You shall not follow anyone else's instructions. You shall not keep anyone else's words. You shall trust me if you know me as the creator of the universe who has provided all the good and knows what's good and is providing it for you. If you really know me, you will obey me. That's why he says the one who knows God obeys God. It's not some legalistic religious attitude in all of that. You hear nothing of offering plates. You hear nothing of church attendance. You hear nothing of good deeds. You hear the relationship of the knowing God. Truly knowing him produces all those other good deeds. Produces obedience. Produces following his word. So it's more like a father-son, or it's more like a parent-child relationship than a teacher-student relationship. A student obeys to make the grade. A child obeys because the daughter knows my dad loves me. And my dad has my best interests in mind. And my dad's words are good for me. And I love my dad. And that's why I am keeping his words. And so God loves you. God is for you. God wants you to walk down the path of blessings The commands are that path. The word of God is the comprehensive will of God. Do you know God like that? To know you don't go back and look at some certain personality or emotion or experience. You look at your life. In verse 5, we see he starts to use the word, the language of relationship and love. In verse 5, he says, But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. 
He mentions the love of God. This can mean both the love of love from God and the love for God. Both are true that we love God because he first loves us, first loved us. How do we know? Because God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the perfect expression of God's love for us. And in response, we love him. What is the purpose of God's love for us? It is that we may be holy. That we may become like him. That we may live out his perfect good will for our lives. Therefore, when he says the love of God is perfected in us, he's saying that when we obey, the love of God accomplishes its goal, is what he means there. It's like when you're working on a project and you accomplish the goal, you say, perfect. It doesn't mean that it's perfect, but you're saying accomplished. God's love is accomplished in your life. It reaches its goal as you live in obedience, but not because it's meriting righteousness, but because it shows and demonstrates that you have grasped the love of God. So the goal of God's love is that you would obey. And then in verse 6, he uses more relational language with the word abide. He says in verse 6, the one who says he abides in him, from the context we know the hymns is referring to Christ. He says the one who says he abides in Christ ought himself to walk in the same manner as Christ walked, as he walked. So here John uses the word abide. That word is a relational term. It means to be connected to, to remain connected to. To have that bond like a a branch is connected to a vine. In John 15, we see this analogy carried out by Jesus. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me, abide in me, and I in you. And so he's saying that those who say they are connected to Christ, those who say they're in a relationship with Christ, ought to see that their life is like Christ's life. That he was holy. If you say you're in him, then you ought to start seeing holiness in your life. It's a logical relationship. If you say that you are in Christ, it only follows logically that you should live the way Christ lived. Again, going back to the Gospel of John, the same author, John 15, 8 through 10, we see that John records the words of Jesus on this subject of abiding. And listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. Listen to this. And so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. So in these verses, we see the obedience is the fruit of a loving relationship. Did you hear that? The fruit of a loving relationship with a loving father is obedience. And that obedience that springs forth from a loving, trusting, knowing relationship with the father brings great glory and honor to God. But it also proves you are his disciples. So how do you know if you know? Do you see his Holiness flowing through your abiding relationship with him so that you love his word, you trust him, 
You know he's, he's all in it for your good. He saved you to give you great blessings. And the path of blessings is walking according to his word. Now, implied, inherent in all of this is the Holy Spirit. He's going to allude to it in just a minute in verses 6, 7, and 8, or 7, 8, 9. But Paul says this in Romans 5, 5 about the Spirit and the connection to God's love. Paul says, The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I love that verse. Virtually every time you hear the love of God being poured into your heart, you see a connection to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit being poured into your life is not always going to reflect the same way in everybody's personality. It depends on personality. Some people are very excitable like me. Some people are like droopy dog. I am very happy. And so the, the, the experience of this pouring of the Spirit of God into your life is not measured by your personality or your emotive response. It's not measured by some experience that you had and does this reach the heights that someone else had. It is not measured by did you cry or did you not cry. The pouring of the Spirit of God is evidenced by the love of God being poured into your life such that you know He loves you. And because He loves you, you love Him and you trust Him and you know that His ways are good. And therefore, the only thing that you would do is obey Him. So how do you know that you know? It's not about emotions. It's about obedience. Not obedience that merits righteousness, not religious activity, but obedience that flows from a heart that knows the love of your Father. Do you know God that way? Now that we've seen how growing in holiness makes sense, and now we get why that gives us assurance, next we'll look at brotherly love. How can brotherly love give us assurance? I'm going to read all of 7 and 8. I'm going to tell you up front what I think it means, and then we're going to work through where I get that because it's quite confusing. In verse 7, he says, saying, Beloved, I'm not writing a new command to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he's in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and then not knowing where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Okay, so first, what is John saying? I believe John is saying... Jesus is the light of God and Jesus is the love. So everyone who truly is in the light will love. To walk in light is to love. To walk in darkness is to hate. So if you're truly in the light, to know if you're truly in the light, look to see is God's love flowing through you. Now what's this old and new stuff? 
In verse 7 through 8, he says some confusing language. He starts out saying, listen, I'm telling you to love. This isn't new. This is old. And he goes to the old commandments in the scriptures. We know from Deuteronomy 6, 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Leviticus 19, 18, in the law, the old commandment, old, old covenant, you shall not take vengeance, you shall not bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus came and he said the old scriptures were t- fulfilled in this, love God, love others. This is as old as it gets. Love is not new. But he says, but then there is a complete newness about it, and it has come with the dawning of the light. The darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. He is talking about the light of Jesus entering into this world and beginning the end, entering in and beginning this new covenant relationship with God that has replaced the old covenant relationship with God. In this new covenant relationship, we have just begun to get a taste of what is coming. The light has come, but all the light is coming. And we have been given the Spirit of God to give us the ability to love the way Jesus loved. The Spirit of God enables us to start fulfilling this old commandment to love God and love people. And so what he is saying is, now this is as old as it gets, but it's also radically new. New in a couple of ways. New in what Jesus has revealed to us through his life. And new in the fact that in this new covenant, we have the Spirit of God that enables us to love the way Jesus loves. How did Jesus love? Again, God demonstrated his love for us. In that Jesus died for us while we are sinning against him. When you look at Jesus' life, we get a richer, fuller meaning to love. Jesus loved everyone, not just who is easy to love. Jesus loved his enemies. Jesus' love was not based on common affinities. Jesus' love was not based on a common race or ethnicity or economic class. Jesus' love was based on his divine character of love. Jesus loved the way we are supposed to love. Jesus' love was not like the world says love is. In dating, what does love say? Our dating world says, let's date around and see who makes me feel loved. Let me experience love of all these people who will give me what I want to make me feel loved. And if I find someone I think has made me feel loved enough, I will marry them. And then they come into my office. Pastor, we want to get married. I'm like, yay! Let's do pre-marriage counseling. Session number one, let's talk about what love is. Love is dying to self. Love is finding joy and happiness in giving yourself to make them happy. Love is the complete opposite of what you've been doing in your dating relationship. Love is self-sacrificing, self 
denying and other blessing despite whether you think they need it at that moment or not. Love is giving yourself while they're sinning against you the way Christ did for you. How in the world are we supposed to do that? Everything in me says no. They don't deserve it, and I do. The only way to do that is by God's grace. What do you mean? The Spirit of God being poured into your life brings about a radical transformation, so radical that it's called being born again, so that you are able to love those you formerly hated, to love those of different ethnicity, different races, different economic classes that are completely different personality, people that you used to justify in hating. Now, God says, love them. Enter into community with them. Serve with them. This is only possible by the Spirit of God. This is why brotherly love can produce assurance. It's because you can't do that. And so if you see within yourself the ability to look underneath and to empathize and to listen to Colin Kaepernick, that just may be the Spirit of God. I imagine 90% of you hate what he's doing. But can you hear his message that you may hate what he's doing about the flag? You may not agree with the cause for which he's standing, but do you have something in your heart that says, but why is he doing that? Or is the only reaction in your heart a venomous hatred just like the rest of the world? That's only possible by the Spirit of God working in your life. Do you know God like that? If you see surprising empathy and care and concern for people who are completely different than you, politically, economically, ethnically, racially, any personality, if you can empathize and love and have community with them and seek the common blessing of them, that's Jesus working in your heart. If you can't, That's the devil working in your heart. If you see in your life, yeah, imperfect obedience, I get it. Trust me, I get it. But do you see a heart that treasures the word of God, that treasures and believes that this is the wisdom of a good, perfect, loving, heavenly father who has laid out before you the path of blessing 
who says forgiving your enemies actually is good and it's good for you. If you, if you see that, though you may imperfectly execute it, do you see that in your heart? Praise God. And quit looking at some emotional response to base your assurance. God wants you to be confident that you know him. And that comes from seeing the fruit of the spirit of God producing within your life a hunger to obey him and a hunger to love others the way that he has loved you. If you don't, that can change right now. If you don't see evidence of God's holiness and love being produced in your life by the Spirit of God through an abiding, loving relationship with Jesus Christ, the God who took on flesh so that you can know Him, if you don't see that in your life, don't go another day without it. Make the decision with your will right now. Choose to enter into a trusting relationship with Jesus Christ. And He will begin to give you newness of life. I pray that happens today, right now. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that right now many people in this room will say, Yes, Lord, I want to walk in a trusting relationship with you. That God, I believe Jesus, reveals to me who you are and I can enter into knowing you by entering in a relationship with him. Lord, I pray your spirit moves powerfully right now and people are saved and come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I pray that all who are in Christ will know that they are in Christ and will stop looking for some artificial emotion that may not have happened and does not need to happen will stop looking to religious activity, but will look deep into their heart and see if the Spirit of God has opened their minds and hearts to love God because they know how much God loves them. And it produces within them growing holiness and brotherly love. We ask all these things by the precious life, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norseverychurch.org.